Section 23 of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. The Pagoda of Progress. There is one fashionable fallacy that crops up everywhere like a weed, until a man feels inclined to devote the rest of his life to the hopeless task of weeding it out. I take one example of it from a newspaper correspondence headed, Have Women Gone Far Enough? It is immediately concerned with alleged impropriety in dress, but I am not directly interested in that. I quote one paragraph from a lady correspondent, not because it is any worse than the same thing as stated by countless scholars and thinkers, but rather because it is more clearly stated. Women have gone far enough. That has always been the cry of the individual with the unprogressive mind. It seems to me that until doomsday there will always be the type of man who will cry, Women have gone far enough. But no one can stop the tide of evolution, and women will still go on. Which raises the interesting question of where they will go to. Now, as a matter of fact, every thinking person wants to stop the tide of evolution at some particular mark in his own mind. If I were to propose that people should wear no clothes at all, the lady might be shocked. But I should have as much right as anyone else to say that she was obviously an individual with an unprogressive mind. If I were to propose that this reform should be imposed on people by force, she would be justly indignant. But I could answer her with her own argument, that there had always been unprogressive people and would be till doomsday. If I then proposed that people should not only be stripped, but skinned alive, she might, perhaps, see several moral objections. But her own argument would still hold good, or as good as it held in her own case, and I could say that evolution would not stop and the skinning would go on. The argument is quite as good on my side as on hers, and it is worthless on both. Of course, it would be just as easy to urge people to progress or evolve in exactly the opposite direction. It would be as easy to maintain that they ought to go on wearing more and more clothes. It might be argued that savages wear fewer clothes, and that clothes are a mark of civilization, and that the evolution of them will go on. I am highly civilized if I wear ten hats, and more highly civilized if I wear twelve hats. When I have already evolved so far as to put on six pairs of trousers, I must still hail the appearance of the seventh pair of trousers with the joy due to the waving banner of a great reform. When we balance these two lunacies against each other, the central point of sanity is surely apparent. The man who headed his inquiry, 
have women gone far enough, was at least, in a real sense, stating the point rightly. The point is that there is a far enough. There is a point at which something that was once neglected becomes exaggerated. Something that is valuable up to that stage becomes undesirable after that stage. It is possible for the human intellect to consider clearly at what stage, or in what condition, it would have enough complication of clothes, or enough simplification of clothes, or enough of any other social element or tendency. It is possible to set a limit to the pagoda of human hats rising forever into infinity. It is possible to count the human legs and, after a brief calculation, allot to them the appropriate number of trousers. There is such a thing as the miscalculation of making hats for a hydra or boots for a centipede, just as there are such things as barefooted friars or the hatless brigade. There are exceptions and exaggerations, good and bad, but the point is that they are not only both good and bad, but they are good and bad in opposite directions. Let a man have what ideal of human costume or custom he likes, that ideal must still consist of elements in a certain proportion, and if that proportion is disturbed, that ideal is destroyed. Let him once be clear in his own mind about what he wants. And then, whatever it is that he wants, he will not want the tide of evolution to wash it away. His ideal may be as revolutionary as he likes or as reactionary as he likes, but it must remain as he likes it. To make it more revolutionary or more reactionary is distortion. To suggest it's growing more and more reactionary or revolutionary forever is demented nonsense. How can a man know what he wants? How can he even want what he wants if it will not even remain the same while he wants it? The particular argument about women is not primarily the point, but as a matter of fact, it is a very good illustration of the point. If a man thinks the Victorian conventions kept women out of things they would be the happier for having, his natural course is to consider what things they are. Not to think that any things will do, so long as there are more of them. This is only the sort of living logic everybody acts in life. Suppose somebody says, Don't you think all this wood could be used for something else besides palings? We shall very probably answer, well, I dare say it could, and perhaps begin to think of wooden boxes or wooden stools. But we shall not see, as in a sort of vision, a vista of wooden razors, wooden carving knives, wooden coats and hats, wooden pillows and pocket handkerchiefs. If people had made a false and insufficient list of the uses of wood— we shall try to make a true and sufficient list of them, but not imagine that the list can go on forever, or include more and more of everything in the world. I am not establishing a scientific parallel between wood and womanhood, 
but there would be nothing disrespectful in the symbol, considered as a symbol, for wood is the most sacred of all substances. It typifies the divine trade of the carpenter, and men count themselves fortunate to touch it. Here it is only a working simile, but the point of it is this, that all this nonsense about progressive and unprogressive minds and the tide of evolution divides people into those who stick ignorantly to wood for one thing and those who attempt insanely to use wood for everything. Both seem to think it a highly eccentric suggestion that we should find out what wood is really useful for and use it for that. They either profess to worship a wooden womanhood inside the wooden fences of certain trivial and temporary Victorian conventions, or else they profess to see the future as a forest of dryads growing more and more feminine forever. But it does not matter to the main question whether anybody else draws the line exactly where I do. The point is that I am not doing an illogical thing, but the only logical thing, in drawing the line. I think tennis for women normal, and football for women quite abnormal, and I am no more inconsistent than I am in having a wooden walking stick and not a wooden hat. I do not particularly object to a female despot, but I do object to a female demagogue. And my distinction is as much founded on the substance of things as my eccentric conduct in having a wooden chair and table, but not a wooden knife and fork. You may think my division wrong. The point is that it is not wrong in being a division. All this fallacy of false progress tends to obscure the old common sense of all mankind, which is still the common sense of every man in his own daily dealings, that everything has its place and proportion and proper use, and that it is rational to trust its use and distrust its abuse. Progress, in the good sense, does not consist in looking for a direction in which one can go on indefinitely. For there is no such direction, unless it be in quite transcendental things, like the love of God. It would be far truer to say that true progress consists in looking for the place where we can stop. End of section 23 Read by the Story Girl